waiting before the Lord. You know, one of the things as you read through the Bible, and hopefully everybody has a, an ambition and a journey to read through the Bible all the way through. Now, you can pick the programs, you know, that take you through it in a year, or if you want to methodically turn the pages, just keep turning until you get through it. If it takes you two years or three years, you've, you're going to accomplish something. And then when you get done, start again. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through the Bible, but I'm hoping that the Bible goes through me. That's what I'm really hoping for, right? And so, one of the, I think one of the main things we learn from David, <clears throat> we don't learn from anybody else in the Bible, and that is his ability to worship the Lord no matter what was going on in his life. He always was transparent in his expression and his love and trust in God. Now, you can read the stories about Abraham and the patriarchs, and they had their moments. You read about the prophets. Man, they're incredible guys. I mean, the intimidation factor, like, they're not intimidated by anybody. They just speak the word. It's just amazing. But when it comes to worship and, and his walk with God, I mean, there's a reason why God said that he was a man after his own heart. <clears throat> and what you really see that comes through in the Psalms that doesn't come through any other Bible passages is he has a real friendship relationship with God. You know, Abraham's called the friend of God. Moses is a friend of God. But they don't talk about the friendship in the Bible. It's just kind of really personal with those guys. David, man, he just lets it hang out. <laughs> he just blurts. And, and I love this. Um, his great trust in the Lord uh, for God's protection in his life. I mean, he was on the run from Saul. He was on the run from the Philistines. Everybody hated him. I mean, he killed the giants, I mean, him and his crew, right? And and so this this is part of what happens and probably more in 63 than 62, but as it starts out here in 62, as we're going to read through here now, um, he it's another expression of his relationship with God. And I think... I think that it's put there so that we learn from that and we develop that kind of relationship. That's the relationship that God longs to have with each one of his kids. We're more than just friends. We're his children. Now, when you're a parent, you, you get that. And God parents each one of us. But let's, let's dig in here in Psalm 62. Truly, my soul, silently for the Lord or for God. I'm going to read that again, and I'm purposely leaving out weights. In your Bible, it is italicized, is it not? That's because the translators put it there, but the word in the Hebrew, the only word that's there is, is silently, and it carries with it an idea of waiting, but the point is quiet waiting. So truly my soul silently for God for him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from 
his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely, men of a low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vain hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. This silence before God is, um, it's a very, let's just say, it's a challenge to set before God and not say something. Just, you know, it's kind of like, how do you stop your mind from thinking? <laughs> I've yet to be able to do that. <laughs> says, while you're waiting quietly, <laughs> thoughts come flooding in, do they not? You know, so it's the jumiya, jumiya is the word for silently here. It is the idea of silence while you're waiting. And what he, and so I suppose what David is thinking about um, in this case, because he's probably on the run, I think this is somewhat tied to uh, what was going on in 63, where he's in the wilderness, but we don't know that for sure. But he's contemplating what God is to him. Salvation. Yeshua. Yahweh is my salvation. Do you ever get tired of thinking about being saved? Think about that. Now I don't know how, how many of you took the took the encouragement to watch uh, um, um, Nefarious. It's okay if you didn't. <laughs> but one of the lines there, you know, you know, there's certain lines in a movie that just sort of stick with you sometimes. And when the priest comes in, the pretender priest comes in to to do nothing but talk. <laughs> And he reacts when he's leaving. <laughs> and, and, and the inmate says, are you going to be at the sizzle? And then he starts screaming it. Are you going to be there at the sizzle? Like, you know, what we, you know what we're talking about here? We're talking about the lake of fire. And I'm like, I never heard it referred to that way. Well, it is. It is that. But, it's, but beyond that, there, okay. my mind went beyond that immediately to the lake of fire. You know, is he going to be at the sizzle? Both of them, right? Type of thing. Who knows? It's more than just the electrocution that was coming, but nonetheless, um, that was our home. That was our destiny until the Lord stepped in and saved us. I deserve eternal damnation. And I think, and I shudder about that. I think that's an important thing when you think about how Merciful God has been to you and I, and that some He chose to reveal Himself to us. Never 
want to take that for granted. The, what I, oh my goodness, a bear is walking across the parking lot. Really? What a size is Huge. You want to pause that for a minute? That is huge. <laughs> so, my salvation is Yahweh. Yahweh saved. You know, Jesus saves. That's what he came for. And then the second thing he says, refers to is, my rock. So when you think about a rock, we're talking about that's a high position usually. It, it's got its strength. We kind of hit this uh, last week. But he's my defense. He defends me. He's, he's on my side. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think? And David says this. God is on my side. Or I'm on his side. God is for us. God is for us. Never forget that. God is for us. It's easy to forget that when you're in the middle of the battle and you may have had some failures or some trials or, you know, things aren't going as you prefer. Never forget that. And then he says, my stronghold. And the idea there is that I will not waver. God gives you and I the intestinal fortitude to just, this is where I stand and I shall not move. I have stayed on the truth. That's a big, that's an important thing. I heard this quote from, I think it was, it's either Socrates or Aristotle, somebody, some of you guys might know. The most hated person is the person who speaks the truth. And so Jesus said, look, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. And why did they hate Jesus? Because he told them the truth. You don't have to be mean, spirited when you tell people the truth. I mean, Jesus was never mean-spirited. But, I mean, and you read some of those little scathing things in the Gospels when he's bringing down the Pharisees. He pretty much sealed his death sentence with, with those scathing words, you whitewashed sepulchers. That's enough to make the leadership angry, right? He told the truth, though. That's what they were. So David has in his life a complete satisfaction with God. And I think you know when you're maturing in the Lord and you've matured to the point when you are satisfied with God alone. When Jesus is sufficient. This is a problem in the church. This is a real problem in the church. People are not satisfied with Jesus. They want their ears scratched. They want this. They treat church attendance like going to a restaurant as long as it's got this on the menu and it makes me feel good. See, they want a God that they've created in their minds and as long as the church worship and the pastors delivering what they have appreciate in their minds, then everything's good. Well, is Jesus really enough? He should be. Is, is, am I satisfied with God alone? And you know when you can sit and wait. You know, think about when you've had to sit and wait for your husband. Of course, not you wives have ever had to do that, but maybe you husbands have had to wait for your wives. That only happens when they go to the mall, but that's beside the point, right? Shopping. <laughs> can you, do I have to go? <laughs> 
But there's times when, you know, we have to wait on each other as, as uh, a married couple, and that's fine. We don't really think that much about it because we love that person. We're a team. We're working together. And so why would I find it difficult to wait on someone that I love? And this is, David was good at it. He learned to do that. I want to be able to say that I want God in my life more than I want anything else. David could say that. In verses 3 and 4, um, he's under attack from various enemies. But he had a perfect perspective. They're, t- they're, they're vulnerable and they don't even know it. You know, it's really easy to become angry with what's going on in our country and the leadership and all that stuff. But if you follow David, had to deal with it in a different way. But he had a good perspective on those who hated God. They're unaware that they're like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. They're, and with the idea there, it's unstable. Do you think there's, these people that are leading our country astray and destroying the foundations of our nation are stable? Their, fu- their future's grim. They're, they're, uh, but for a moment, and they'll, they'll be gone. They plan to destroy, and they, they're liars. You know, we heard years ago how they set people up, to, and it's, it's, it's smear, wrap up, and destroy that person's reputation. When you disagree, and it's, you know, they just don't realize what's going to happen to them. You will be slain, all of you. So, you know, when you're reading through the Psalms, it's really easy to put faces to some of this stuff. And it, to me, it's important because he, don't, he talks about God, the Lord giving him a perfect hatred towards sin, towards evil. We should hate evil. And somehow, God in his incredible person is able to have mercy and patience and give people lost mankind who are under the curse blind and rebellious and hateful and persecution of his people he gives them time and space to repent that's an amazing thing but it's why they're they're given a time and they're given space verses 5 through 7 notice here he he said in verse 1 my soul silently Silent before God. Here, he's telling himself, my soul, wait silently. Same word. He's commanding himself. (laughs) Don't we all need to do that? Friendships are developed that way when we learn to wait and we have conversation back and forth and we respect each other's person and each other's choices that they make. And friendships are violated when we put self-fixed expectations on the other person. And that's something we can easily do with, you know, I've been doing this all along, Lord, and so therefore you should do this for me. That's an expectation. You've got to be careful of that. And this is what he said, my expectation is from him, not something that I've thought up or I want I'm asking him to write his will, his purpose on my heart so that when that is in my heart, then when I confidently pray, I have complete faith that he's going to do it because he wrote this in my heart. 
my expectation is from him. In this case, it's it's more than just expecting something. It's, it's actually hope, hoping what you, is not there. It's the same kind of the same idea there. Uh, he talks in verse eight about trust, trust in at, at in him at all times. Pour out your hearts before him. Wow. And so this is this continual. This is was it not a Sunday going type guy. I've got, you know, it's really easy to sort of compartmentalize our lives. Well, that's what we do on Sunday. That's what we do uh, on Wednesday or other, uh, the rest of the week's mine. You know. <laughs> David didn't live that way. You know, I don't think Saul waited till one day of the week to attack him. And then, well, no, we can't do it any other day. Only can only be these two days that we attack. You know, that's not how that works, right? And so it's important that we, it's a continual expression of love, faith, and trust in the Lord. And David teaches that. It's, my, it's his life. Now, verses 9 through 12, as we finish this psalm up, um, he breaks down the social classes. Um, you know, and most of us got some of this in school. Um, you, they're based on social factors of wealth, um, education, income, occupation, and all that. We sort of classify people accordingly, unfortunately. And, and sometimes they get dehumanized through it, and this, this is the bad thing about it. But everybody's looking to label you, label me. Oh, oh, that's what they are. You know, right? You know, pigeonhole and label, and then they can sort of marginalize whoever they want but he breaks it up into the three main classes, you know, the low degree, the high degree. Uh, you know, we have, uh, we have it, uh, he's got it in two, we have it in three. Um, the wealthy, the upper class, the elite, the, the one, they're usually the ones in tr control of production. And they're the ones that make a lot of money because of the, their position um, and build wealth. The middle class were the professional workers you know, the small business owners and that kind of thing, the low-level managers maybe. And then, of course, you have the lower class who just have lower-paying jobs and they live hand-to-mouth. And even the middle class gets caught up in that a little bit. So low degree, high degree. But you know what? All weight in the balances. It doesn't really matter. God's the judge. And again, perspective is, is good. David had perspective. This is what happens. For those of us who love the Lord and we follow the Lord, your perspective on life, on people, completely is changed. You know what? I don't, I don't need to be a person of high degree. I have no desire to be a person of high degree. You know, I'm not smart enough, rich enough, or any of those things, right? <laughs> you know what? I'm perfectly fine. I'm happy with what God has done in my life and I'm not disappointed at all and I trust that you feel the same way. This is not our home. Come on. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. But then he closes with the what I call the do nots. Uh, do not trust or do not oppress people which is the idea of, of defrauding you know, you don't want to, that, when you defraud someone, you just make life hard for them. 
that's that's you, know, you wouldn't want someone to do that to you, right? So we shouldn't do it to others. Don't steal. Do not take from others. Is there? Uh, do not trust in oppression and that kind of a thing. Do not serve mammon. That's what you know. It's a terrible, terrible master. You know, and this is what he said: Don't set your heart on riches. And unfortunately, that's a, that's a real trap. The thing about riches is, is that they can make wings and fly away real quick. <laughs> I mean, how many rich people have had financial reversals? And rather than ter- turning to the Lord, they jump out the window. You know, because you know it's a terrible, terrible master. Don't set her heart on riches. Set her heart on God. And this is what the Lord says. I, he's spoken once, and He said it again. When the Lord says something twice, there's a reason. And um, I've had this verse applied to my life, and I thank God for it. Uh, it's up to God what we receive. As he said there at the end of the thing, the power belongs to God. I'll accept graciously what he has for me. And then, you know, we've heard this from Paul. I think um, it's, I think it's in First Corinthians. Um, the Lord uh, will render to each one according to his work. You know, some people are prosper and are blessed by God because they work hard. You know, you know, most everyone that I know that's um, doing well is because they put effort into it. We're living in a day and age where the last couple generations seems to be they want everything given to them, and just because they have maybe a piece of paper that has a four-year degree behind it means they deserve this. Well, it's not going to be handed to you. God doesn't just hand stuff to people because that usually messes people up. If you work for it and you learn the, the value of hard work, uh, that develops character, then you're able to handle success without being corrupted by it. And this is the idea. God rewards every man according to his work. So if, you, if you're lazy and you don't do anything, well, then you expect nothing. <laughs> That's how that works. You know, I had a conversation with someone the other day. It's like I, my <clears throat> this person in my family's really lazy how do I deal with this and usually they're younger people how do you teach a younger person not to be lazy well I didn't have the answer um, necessarily um, I know one thing if, if they aren't doing their chores uh, they'd be losing some privileges <laughs> you know you, you you can't make somebody have a strong work ethic. Uh, but if children need, you know, young people need to be given responsibility and fair things that, it, uh, that they're capable of doing. And if, you know, they're not the only one in the family. Everybody has a job. You kind of spread it out and everybody, you treat everybody fairly. And if there's a lack of effort, then there's going to be a lack of privilege how does God how does God teach us? Well, it looks like we said here, He rewards according to His work. If you don't do any work, then you don't get any reward. <laughs> That's just how it works. So it's not complicated, but it's it's hard. We're frustrated with children, right? Anyway, 
Let's go to Psalm 63 and finish this up here. Um, again, this is, as you probably have in your, at the top of your uh, psalm there, <clears throat> this is when David uh, was in the wilderness of Judah. So why was David in the wilderness, right? He was there because he was probably on the run was from Saul. So what else are you going to do when you're out in the wilderness and you're taken away from your home and you're living, you know, sleeping on the ground or in a cave, right? Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, and so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in, in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. I remember you on my bed. I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul, follow, soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. So it's, it'd be pretty easy for us to imagine him living out in the wilderness. And he's taking what he's experiencing and he's bringing it to his relationship with God. I'll seek you early. First of all, he's a devotional guy. David He's, a, he's still in position. He's got his, his musical instrument with him. There's no question about it. Sitting around the campfire at night, probably. You know, they just, that was, they were God's people. They were born to worship, right? You know, <clears throat> notice he says, I, I seek early. Early will I seek you in verse 1. There's something about putting the Lord first when you first get up in the morning and you begin to, seek him really uh, and I've without I mean without fail my days go easier and better when I've had a lengthy time of seeking the Lord and I can also say that when that is lean my days don't always go quite as well now let's get a perspective here some days have more adversity than others. But I, even when there's adverse days and things are not going well, if I've had that time with the Lord, I handle the adversity so much better. My anger level is lower, like I'm more patient. But contrary-wise, if I don't have as much adversity in another day, but I had, didn't really dig in, it was light duty, it was a snack. Right? instead of a meal with the Lord, right? And then some little thing can just ruin your day almost. There's a direct correlation there. And I think it's important to follow David's um, example here. 
Heart to heart is what we're after. People say, well, how long do I need to spend? Well, like when you do your devotions, the most important thing is, I think it's important to have a plan to get through the Bible and just keep reading wherever you're at. How much you read depends upon your goal, partly, but at least read until it speaks to your heart. So that might be a couple chapters or it could be a verse. It's, when it's jumping off the page into your, like, whoa, that speaks to me, that kind of a moment, that's when you, you need to drink that in. And there's other times you just want to worship the Lord. You want to just love Him. I find my worship needs to grow. My personal worship. I'm not a great singer and I'm not a musician, so I have to do other things to generate that, so to speak. But, but just those little songs that you have memorized, sing those to the Lord. Wor- David was a worshiper. There's something about singing that does something to our soul, as we know. But notice that David is really kind of putting, I think, what his flesh is going through. He's not living in his house anymore. He's out in the wilderness. So, you know, you don't have the water jug nearby. You know, there's no water fountain there, right? Uh, and so you're thirsty. You know, this, this whole, his fleshly drives. I, you know, he's not with his family. He's taken them and they've moved them to Moab, remember? He can't go run home to mom and dad. Because he's afraid, you know, Saul's going to take them out. So he's by himself. So there's a longing for fellowship. There's a longing for family. And he just turns that to God. What I really need in my life isn't my family. I love them and I need them and I want them. But what I really need is him. And I just love the way he, he sort of turns this into a, his, to, to what his spirit man needs. I thirst for him. I long for him. And I live for him, and even though I'm living in this fallen world. Notice he starts out by saying, you are my God. And if, he, if God is really our God, then these things should follow our lives, should they not? We should have this seeking of the Lord. Oh, do I think I got it all figured out? I, I, I don't need God to help me run my life. Well, then you're your own God, right? I mean... I need God. I love God. And he is my God. It's pos- David's taking possession of Yahweh here. I love it. Verse, uh, again, uh, verses 7 through 11, he considers God his help. My God is a God who helps me. My God helps me. I'm not afraid of my God. I'm not running from my God like some of the false gods that people worship in these days. He protects me and he causes me to follow after him. Notice what he says there. My soul follows close behind you. He really is following the Lord's lead. So that indicates that God is directing his life. He also, in another psalm, talks about God ordering his steps. And I, we had a, a couple weeks ago when we were gone on vacation, we had a little um, reunion, and we're, uh, one of the sisters asked me to, to do a devotional for the Sunday morning service, and I said, okay. And so I was thinking, well, I'd like to get my brother-in-law, who is also a pastor, Involved and like okay, you know it's Sunday morning and I went out for a walk and 
and I ended up, it's a big, <clears throat> there's a couple acres there, walked around, and, and it's a big house and a pool and garage, everything's all kind of there, and you know, there's lots of places to hide and <laughs> type of thing. So I walked into the garage, and behold, right there's my brother-in-law. And so we were able to just have this, we put the service together, and said, Let's, oh, what do you think about this, what do you think about this, and boom. But, you know, God, I just thought about that verse, because I knew I needed to talk to him, I wanted to talk to him. And I just happened to walk in there where he was. And it, it was, you know, I just thought of that verse, how God orders our steps. And that's an important thing. Good thing to pray daily. And that the Lord's, uh, he's following after the Lord, but he also mentions that the Lord upholds him. You know, it's the one, God's the one that gives us strength. He's the one that gives us the ability to do whatever we're called to do. And, and that's what he's communicating here. God upholds him. There are people that are seeking his hurt, as he says in verse 9 there. I mean, he's, he's afraid. For, he fears for his life. That's no place to live. But then he has a perspective. You, you coming after me because you're bloodthirsty and you're a murderer. You're hateful. And there's a, the hell awaits. You're going to sh- go to the lower parts of the earth. And they're going to fall. And the scavengers will be what happens with you. And then he ends with rejoicing. I think David understood at this point that he was going to be the king someday. If he if he survived this wilderness experience, right? <laughs> the king shall rejoice. I'm not sure who he's what he's thinking there exactly, but uh, it's the commitment. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. So he, he ultimately knows that the Lord is the king and he's committed to him. And the people who lie, David's in this predicament because of someone's been lying. Oh, that's one of the worst things to be lied about or to be called a liar. You know, that's not a good thing. To, you don't want to be calling people that. That's like, that's a pretty major judgment on someone when you don't really maybe have all the facts. But... These people who who live by lies that are outside faith, at some point in time, that mouth's going to get stopped. And God will vindicate his own as he vindicated David so powerfully. So with that, let's spend some time in prayer. We've got a number of people uh, in the church that are um, 